Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollock. I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time, building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. In today's podcast, I sit down with Rob Calvert, founder and CEO of Second Sun Consulting, a different kind of IT services company, one who's focused primarily on the Apple ecosystem. Rob's created a service business that in many ways parallels FPA's approach which is to say a relationship-driven IT service business. Although in their case, it's focused working with and supporting businesses on the Apple side of the equation. As we're really not competitors, I thought it would be interesting to sit down and speak with Rob, learn what they do in more detail, what's going on in the Apple world, and how our similarities have fueled each of our company's successes. So here we go. Let's dive into our conversation with Rob. Rob Calvert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to this, kind of peeling back the onion on the Apple side of the world and the Apple side of IT service providers and consulting. I know that, you know, we've we've known each other for a number of years now. And, and for us in, in this industry, it's really great to have a go-to guy like you and a company like you guys have, um, Second Sun Consulting, all things Mac. I think it's, you know, it's yep. a really great referral partnership, you know, the I, I know the quality of the work that you guys do and the relationships that you create. Having resource for that for our clients and contacts, I think, is outstanding. So just to dive in, if you could just kind of just give me a, a quick two-minute elevator speech on how you got to this place and, you know, how Second Son became Second Son and all that sort of fun stuff. Well, the company started almost exactly 20 years ago. We're coming up on our 20th anniversary at the end of June. Kind of by happenstance, you know, I started out in the print production industry and graphic design firms. My bosses quickly figured out that I understood IT because my dad was a Unix mainframe guy and my older brother was a Windows software developer. So I knew how to translate every time the IT guys came in. So they kind of stuck me in that responsibility. And then eventually I ended up going to work for one of those IT firms for a few years. And then through some unfortunate events with some clientele and everything, that company had to downsize and I found myself freelancing. And within six months, enough people had called me up that I had a full-time gig going. And uh, a year later, I I, uh, hired my first employee. I guess it was really like 18 months later, I hired my first full-time employee and he's actually still with me today. I found my niche in the cross-platform arena where businesses that needed both Macs and Windows for whatever reason needed them to coexist and to mm-hmm. collaborate together. And I kind of find myself just sticking with that specialty after all these years, but we definitely focus on environments that are primarily Mac-based. But almost every single one of our clients has a little bit of Windows in there because you got to pick the right tool for the job. In some respects, it's almost a mirror image to what we do, right? Like mm-hmm. we're, we're primarily Windows, you know, Active Directory sure. environment, and there's always some, some some sprinkling of Mac users here or there. So when you got started, you know, 20 years ago, I mean, first off, how did you know? Tell us a little bit about the name. How did Second Sun <laughs> Consulting come about? Uh, I have my mom to thank for that. Actually, when the freelancing really started kicking in, and I was like, maybe I want to give this a shot full time. I was looking for a domain name that was available, and I was looking for something you know, pithy, memorable, et cetera. And I was the second son in our family to start an IT consulting firm because my older brother had already gone off on his own doing Windows software development. And so that's where it came from. It was her idea. That's pretty cool. I mean, you yeah. know, having something that sure. adding, adding a little bit more, I don't want to say ownership, but you know, there, there's a family sort of connection. Cool connection there. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. So 20 years ago, <laughs> which 
in, in normal industries, normal, quote unquote, normal industry, I'm doing air quotes here, you know, would be nothing, but 20 years in, in our industry is like, you know, massive math. It's like going from inventing the wheel to, you know, yeah. hypersonic, you know, planes and trains. So 20 years ago, what was, you know, what was, what was the environment like and what was the ecosystem and, and, you know, for us in, in windows, and this might be a long-winded and, you know, question, but windows has always seemed to be more business friendly, right? That's why mm -hmm. it, it's sort of, you know, the evolution of the windows platform is what it is. Um, but I think, you know, 20 years ago, Apple and Max didn't quite have that penetration and didn't quite have those capabilities. So how, how did that play out for you? And what, what did that look like back then versus, you know, how things work now? So, you know, I mean, back then we were driving around with huge wallets full of CDs burned with all the software utilities we needed and everything, you know, and this was mm -hmm. the beginning of, right. this was the early days of OS 10, not the very beginning, but the early days, you know, the switch to the Unix platform and, and command line and everything. So because of that switch to, to the Unix based platform, it opened up a tremendous number of doors in terms of scripting and automation. And of course, you know, over the first few years with uh, OS 10 server and Apple had the XServe platform and things like that, um, it started really making a, a harder push into business environments. But I had always been in this position of looking at the in cross-platform environments, especially in print production, which again was a background I had for several years, basically the Venn diagram of the lowest common denominator of whatever would work on both Macs and Windows. And that went everything from the fonts you're using to the applications you're using, to the network protocols, VPN protocols, security software, remote control software, all of that stuff. You know, back then there weren't nearly as many cross-platform tools as there are now. We spent many, many years in environments where we had Mac users that had to access Windows only software. So we had to get really good at deploying remote desktop servers and other kinds of remote access into Windows environments so that they could access Windows only tools from their Mac workstations. And, you know, over the years, uh, that that Venn diagram has gotten a lot, the overlap has gotten a lot bigger. Of course, it's a very different paradigm these days. And, you know, there was a period of time there where it was pretty typical for us to bind the Macs into Active Directory and get some of the same control that we needed and unified user access and things like that in cross-platform environments. But I think some of the big shifts that have really happened, you know, you mentioned that Macs didn't have the capabilities. There's been a big shift over the last decade in terms of tools and paradigms on Apple's platform. And, you know, they started doing their push into things like MDM, mobile device management, and other kinds of large enterprise capable tools to really push security down. And when I've talked to other Windows consultants, like, and I think probably have said this to you over the years, as well as other colleagues, you know, Microsoft has always at least from my perspective, thought business down and Apple has always thought end user up, right? Mm -hmm. And so you get this yep. meeting in the middle of how do you satisfy both, right? Right. Is the, and that's something we've tried to focus on a lot, which is what is the end user's experience of living with that technology that the company says it needs, right? Or that mm -hmm. software paradigm. Right. Um, and that user experience has to work so that people stick with it and actually live with the tools and they don't feel like they need to go around IT to get their job done. And so, again, focusing on what works for both in a shared environment is is really key to success for things like that. Mm -hmm. So piggybacking off of that, can you tell us a little bit about like what 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 is your typical client like? And I know, you know, everybody hates the word typical because our, our clients sure. are like so different, right, from one client to the next. But not only do, do who do you work with, but who do you really excel at working with? Right. Sure. Like who, who, who's your perfect client? What does that look like? It's going to be an environment that is at least 50% Mac uh, at the end user level. Right. Mm -hmm. The more consistency you can have at the end user perspective, not only in terms of the hardware, but also the software tools obviously makes for an easier to manage environment, right? Mm -hmm. Give a more consistent and predictable user experience. Um, probably our sweet spot uh, is going to be clients that are between 20 and 60 employees and in one of probably four or five key industries. So the majority of our clientele is product design and manufacturing, architecture, and then we've got some nonprofits and there's some nice advantages to using Max in nonprofit worlds. You can partner with TechSoup and things like that to, um, to help out nonprofit environments. And then of course, we've got people in, in various 
kind of like side industries to the production industry. We don't mm -hmm. uh, focusing on production companies is a specialty, right? You have to be super, super strong in digital video and digital audio. And that's, that's different, definitely a, a niche specialty that we stay out of, but there's a lot of um, related industries and companies that get involved in that. So we've got several firms that are either agencies that rep artists uh, of various kinds or like lighting design specialty companies where they actually do the lighting and the production for live events and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so those industries we've gotten to know from the standpoint of, you know, with product design and manufacturing, you've got everything from CAD to Adobe Creative Cloud. Um, and with the lighting companies and some of these other event production companies, you're dealing with massive warehouses where you've got to um, put in your Wi-Fi so that they can actually scan barcodes as they're walking up and down the aisles and picking their equipment that they need for their show. Um, a lot of our clientele has custom FileMaker databases. We are not FileMaker developers, but we partner with many around town. Mm -hmm. And so FileMaker being cross-platform works really, really well in cross-platform environments. And so you end up having to figure out how to help these users connect and interact with these databases that basically run their day-to-day -day operations for their companies. Right. Okay. So given that that's sort of what your clientele look like, and how many, how many clients do you guys service these days? roughly 75 different companies. Okay. Yeah. Again, very similar to us where we play in the same sort of, I mean, different, different ballparks, but same league. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. What, how, how does your, how is your company organized in terms of servicing them? Like, do you do, do you offer service plans? Do you do things, time and materials? Like how did, how does that work? And then how is your, you know, how did different staff, like what are your technical capabilities and how to, how do you deliver on that? So, you know, when we started out 20 years ago, it was all time and materials, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Most, a lot of our industry was that way 20 years ago. Over the years, you know, basically we've moved into this arena where we try to meet the client where they are in terms of what they're looking for, for services. So we basically have three relationship styles and they range from uh, specialized projects where we have several clients that we've worked with for you know 15 years or so where they've got internal IT that does day to day, uh, but our technical skill set and our breadth of experience augments what they need. So they call mm -hmm. us in for special projects every six to 12 months, right? Mm -hmm. We'll come in and we'll get an engagement, scope of work. Um, you know, we're about to do one for a company now where they need support replacing 30% of their Mac fleet. And so that's, you know, 75 users or something like that, that we're going to help them roll through and replace. Right. Then all the way at the opposite end of the spectrum would be a fully managed environment, like I know is your specialty, right? Mm -hmm. You're coming in and you're actually providing sole source IT for you know 95 or greater percent of the technology involved in the environment. And you're proactively taking care of all of the aspects and giving guidance, not only in terms of the day-to-day, -day, but thinking about the future and how to plan and budget accordingly. And then we offer a hybrid where, you know, they might have us manage servers and network, but they might have some day-to-day -day desktop support needs uh, handled by somebody internally. And then they escalate to us when they need it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And do you find like, are there different toolkits that you need to support your clients on the different platforms or, or how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I'd say that's probably one of our biggest challenges is that, you know, we can't use all the same tool sets that, you know, a Microsoft shop would use, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want tool sets that are complementary uh, as much as possible, but we try to stick with best in breed. So as much as I would love to have, you know, we do have one antivirus tool that is cross-platform that makes our life easier that we've been with for about 10 years, Sophos. But when it comes to things like automation, you can't, right? The tools that are mm -hmm. cross-platform end up doing just the bare bones right. and they don't really excel on either platform. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're a Mosul shop, which is an MDM tool that we use on the Mac platform for um, a multitude of reasons. And then, of course, on the Windows side, we've got Azure and Intune and you know, looking at different tool sets to try and augment and get the best advantage out of the fleet of, of uh, technology that that client's using in their environment, we have to know a lot of different tools, even if only to be able to converse with somebody like you, right? If mm -hmm. we've got a partner with another firm, because maybe we're handling a department in a large enterprise and we manage the 30 or 40 max and we have to help the IT director or the CISO actually integrate that Mac fleet. Uh, and meet their corporate guidelines and security requirements, but with tools that'll uh, actually work on the Mac platform mm -hmm. uh, and provide the reporting they need and the level of security they need. So we have to be able to have the conversations of like, yeah, you can do that with that tool, but that one feature doesn't work on a Mac, right? 
or the tool you're thinking of using doesn't go as far as we hear you saying you want to go. And so maybe we need to bring in this other tool that'll take it a step further for you. Right. And it can get really esoteric. It can get to little things like even just workflow in Office 365 when it comes to taking advantage of things like shared mailboxes and groups. Mm -hmm. Outlook on the Mac is not the same product as Outlook in Windows. Right. So we have to understand the differences between the two so that we can catch wind of, well, the reason that workflow is not working in this department is because that feature is more limited on the Mac side of Outlook. Mm -hmm. And so can we retool it in this other way and keep the end users happy, but also meet the company's needs? Right. So we have to keep abreast of both sides, so to speak. So why do you think, um, not why do you work with companies that are a mixed environment between Apple and Windows, but why are these environments like that? I mean, are there specific, you know, environments where they, they specifically have Mac requirement from, a, from the software side and a Windows requirement that's different, maybe for a different department that has another software side? Or is it end user preference? Like, or is it, well, we've already invested in these machines, so we need to make it work? Like, I'm just curious when you're running into these sort of environments. It's a whole combination, right? And in different environments, it's going to be a different combination. So in some cases, well, if you think about the fact that like, uh, you know, um, PostScript and print production services, things like font management, mm -hmm. um, color accuracy, those are built into Mac OS at the core. Mm -hmm. You can do them on Windows, but you have to bolt them on top, right? And they're right. not going to be as successful. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you if you roll back 15 years ago, any most people that were doing print production were doing it on Macs. And that's my background is print mm -hmm. production. So some of that native functionality that's built into the operating system uh, is still true to this day. We have one client who's a product design and manufacturing company out of Glendale. Um, we've been working with them since 2006, and they have a third-party multimedia plugin to their FileMaker database that runs their day-to-day -day operations that very specifically leverages uh, core functionality in Mac OS to be able to transcribe different file formats into other file formats for image files mm -hmm. so that we can actually script them. And this plugin also exists on Windows, but it only handles one third of the file types on Windows that it handles in Mac OS mm -hmm. because they're relying on the built-in functionality that's part of the core operating system. Okay. And so because Mac OS has all of these other file formats and PDF functionality and everything built into the core operating system, they can just make an OS level call. Mm -hmm. So that particular system allows them to do all of this automation where they can actually scrape their art into their FileMaker system and capture every version that ever gets sent to the factories, you know, so they know exactly what the image looked like, but they can provide thumbnails that are automatically generated without an end user having to take the time to do it through this automation. So we do have some environments where yes, Mac OS is actually a requirement for their workflow. We have other environments where it's just preferred by the end users. We have architecture firms that could do their job on Windows, they prefer to work on Macs. We have architecture firms that are, and design firms that are primarily Mac-based, again, because thinking about, you know, print production tendencies and in industry history, but they might have, you know, five PCs where they're running a particular 3D rendering CAD tool that only runs on Windows. And so they use those machines when they have to, but their day-to-day -day bread and butter are Macs. And a lot of it, honestly, these days we're seeing is end user preference. We have a couple of large enterprise or small enterprise clients where we support a division. And in the last two years, we've seen a big culture shift in those companies where the company has now said almost everything we do is in a browser or it's office. Mm -hmm. So we don't really care what you run anymore. So you can have a Windows, you can have a Mac. What's the user preference? And we're seeing big shifts to the Mac side of things. And most of the people we talk to, it's because they enjoy the unified experience between all of their devices, right? From their watch to their phone, to their tablet, to their computer. The ecosystem, right? The yeah. Apple ecosystem is, I mean, it's, it's yeah. hard to beat from that perspective, right? Sure. I mean, everything really does tie together really well. What, what is your, what is your viewpoint because you do work and, and do so much work on, on both, both sides of the coin, I guess you'd say, I, I'd say in the windows world, the thought is, is that while, you know, Apple products, certainly iPhones and tablets. And, and I think this is a general thought out there in the world too, which is, well, they're more safe. They're, they're safer. They're more secure because they don't get hit with ransomware. I don't know that that's a hundred percent true, but what, what is your thought on, you know, the difference in, 
in, from a cybersecurity aspect of controlling access from, you know, especially like you said, if we're going down the road of more and more people are moving to SaaS delivered mm -hmm. software services, right? Software as a solution sure. that's through a browser, then the platform becomes a lot less, you know, required, which, whichever mm -hmm. platform you're going with. So how does managing, you know, Apple or Mac laptops and desktops and, you know, what, whatever else compare to Windows from a cybersecurity control aspect? I'm going to say it's a double-edged sword. We, mm -hmm. uh, our stance for a long, long time has always been that, you know, 20 years ago, it was like, well, Macs don't get viruses. Well, yeah, they do. And mm -hmm. they get Trojan horses and they can get ransomware. You know, if you were to look at raw numbers of exploits, yes, there are more exploits on Windows machines. Mm -hmm. But the counterpoint to that is a lot of Mac users take that for granted, right? right. And so they don't take the bare bones approach of, well, I should run antivirus anyway, because is it more likely or less likely? Eh, that's debatable, but it's possible, right? Mm -hmm. And so we firmly believe that, look, even if you don't think your Mac is going to get uh, infected, and, and again, our stance is wholeheartedly, you should be running antivirus, anti-malware tools, you should be a good net citizen, right? Mm -hmm. Because can you get Windows viruses sent to you in Word docs, Excel docs? Absolutely, right? Macroviruses. Right. Yep. You can get them in your email. And wouldn't it be nice if you just help clean the entire uh, community of your organization or your team by cleaning them, even though it can't actually necessarily infect you? Mm. So there's that side of things. The other side of things is, is that, you know, uh, on a Mac, you're either an admin or a standard user. There's no in between. There's no power user concept in Mac OS. And so, we occasionally run into situations where, you know, best of breed, best practices from a security standpoint is nobody should be a full-blown admin on their workstations uh, from right. a day-to-day -day perspective. But there are applications that have not always played well with the standard right. user environment. And so yep. sometimes you get stuck, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't really have a choice. The user has to get their job done. So you you have to make a compromise, right? Security and convenience are always at odds with each other. It's, and you got to pick the right tension point. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. 100%. Usually in environments where people understand that, yes, I need to do something. I can't just run out there unprotected. I mean, look, leaving your front door unlocked is a lot more convenient than whipping out your key all the time. But you're also just asking for it. Eventually something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So from the perspective of keeping things clean and tidy, you know, there aren't as many tool options for macOS, but there are some very good ones that are out there that are very, very strong. And with the new uh, paradigms in macOS, so the last few generations of the operating system, uh, Apple has really pushed the user environment to be wholly separate from the core operating system itself. So it's incredibly easy now to, um, for all intents and purposes, basically sandbox or isolate anything that could get infected on the user machine and it can't get inside the core operating system. So mm -hmm. you can keep the device relatively secure um, uh, without having to necessarily go through great hurdles. We've helped a few clients go through, you know, audits by the studios, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and ensuring that their devices were meeting the studio's requirements for pre-production content and stuff like that. And so we have had to find ways of meeting their expectations of, you know, blocking external storage devices and ensuring that they can't bypass the security that you're putting into the system. But like I said before, if you've got a piece of creative software that doesn't operate as expected in a standard user environment, you kind of have to work with what you've got and figure out ways to box in and keep the device secure and uh, obtain the spirit of the objectives uh, in a way that makes everybody happy. Mm -hmm. And how do, how do you, I mean, I understand that and I can, I personally, I can conceptualize what we're talking about in terms of the desktop, right? The local machine, but if the machine's connected to a network, whether it's a local Active Directory network or a Mac network or, you know, even SharePoint or some other, you know, cloud hosted storage. How do you control, like, again, in my head, I can visualize the physical or not physical, but the, the controls that we need to put in place, whether they're mm -hmm. policies or procedures or software solutions to increase the security that's going on there. You know, how, how does that work in the Mac world when it's connected to other things? Is it, is it just because, because the inherent OS of the machine allows you more security? Like how, how does, how does that prevent somebody from saving a file that's infected out onto the network? 
Well, I guess it would be a combination of a few things, right? In a really tightly managed environment, we would likely have MDM removal device management in place mm-hmm. in a way that allows us to have what's called an automated device enrollment. So in other words, you erase that device the minute you boot it up and try to put it um, Mac OS back on it. It's kind of like ET phone home, right? The device actually reaches out to Apple and says, who do I belong to? Mm-hmm. And uh, the device gets pushed back into all the MDM policies uh, through the cloud tools. So the end result is we can put security requirements on the device that cannot be removed, right? So you can ensure that an end user in taking their actions, and I don't mean intentional, I just mean accidental, right? right. Just through day-to-day operation of the right. device, that they can't accidentally do something that um, decreases the level of security on the device. Apple has gone through great lengths in recent versions of Mac OS to have all file providers, Dropbox, Box, et cetera, integrate with the operating system in a very specific way. So they the user experience is the same uh, and it prevents people from doing things like, well, I'm going to move that repository of data uh, out to this other volume. And now maybe that other volume doesn't meet the security requirements of the rest of the device. Mm-hmm. So by Mac OS actually bringing all this stuff together and um, basically forcing a standard across all these third-party tools, you get a more predictable experience. So if you know where that data resides on the machine, then you can use things like antivirus tools or any malware tools to actually scan and pay attention uh, to those directory structures. And the way macOS is segmented, you know, every user's profile is completely isolated from every other user's profile. There's no registry concept in macOS. There's no centralized repository of uh, keys and settings in that same kind of concept. So Everything's in XML files uh, or other kinds of uh, file types in the machine. So it's fairly common to be able to isolate the users and know where their data is going to reside and control where they can put data on the machine. Uh, And if you can predict that and you're running a good antivirus tool, then you can ensure that when they're interacting with the cloud systems that uh, those transactions as the data moves between the devices in the cloud is being scanned and therefore protected. Hmm. Okay. Does it get to the spirit of what you're asking about? Yeah. I mean, I think the spirit of it, which is, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of heavy lifting that has to be done. Like you definitely have to have your hands on, not a physical body there, right? But mm-hmm. You, you, mm-hmm. It, it's 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 a little bit of a, a manually automated approach, <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, maybe. I mean, I think I think in your environments, you're you're and forgive me, I'm certainly not the expert you are on the Windows stuff, but I, I would think that you guys have Azure policies in place. You've got Active mm-hmm. Directory, right. you've got you've got OUs, you've got organizational units, you've got groups, so therefore you have uh, policies apply to them, GPOs, right? Group policies. We can achieve much of that same kind of concept on Macs uh, using MDM, right? Mm-hmm. You know, years past with OS 10 server. Apple was attempting to do it in different ways, but the paradigm shifted to applying profiles on the computer through an MDM tool years ago. And that's their standard uh, process for doing it because it's depending on your philosophical approach and how you decide to do these things, it's relatively easy to segment out your policies and therefore your uh, security based on the user's role in the company and the applications they have to run and what they have to access. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so where I would assume you all are probably managing that in Active Directory and Azure and the group policies, we would manage that through the MDM tools. And we would achieve, uh, again, in spirit, the same kind of conceptual tool, but the or conceptual result, but the tools that we do it in and the paradigms that we use are going to be pretty different. Right. So that, that sort of leads into, I think, a, a, a good segue uh, into you know your staffing and and mm-hmm. how you guys uh, staff, which I would think would be not only because it's Apple and I think a majority of you know techno IT guys are more Windows based, but how do you you know how do you go about finding guys who have that that crossover that that different you know being able to support something in the Mac world and in the Windows world, um, or do you have like two two sets of experts and maybe the 80-20 rule, right? Like, yeah. We have a lot of the 80-20. You know, we just recently hired a, a couple of engineers for our help desk team and I posted one ad and I had over 150 applicants in under 30 days. I mean, it was crazy. I, right. I was I was shocked at the response mm-hmm. we had. And, you know, one of the first things I ask everybody that I interview is, you know, obviously you're looking for a job, but why my job, right? Mm-hmm. And every single one of them said, the title was Mac engineer, right? And so I love Apple products and 
it runs the whole gamut, right? We mm -hmm. get everything from people that have spent several years growing up and working in the Apple retail stores. And maybe they're on the business consulting side. Maybe they're a certified technician that's uh, extremely skilled at disassembling the hardware and repairing at the component level and putting back together. But in all cases, they decide that they actually want to branch out and they want to learn more, right? They want to spread mm -hmm. their wings and they want to learn core concepts and basics. And so uh, we've spent a lot of time over the years, like people come to us with certifications. They are not the end all be all by any stretch of the imagination. But when we have people go brush up, um, you know, because most of the people we've hired are, are typically self-taught. And mm -hmm. so uh, I'm self-taught, right? I didn't go to school for any of this stuff. So when you come up that way, you often have gaps in your experience, right? If you've never right. run into a problem, how would you know how to troubleshoot or solve it, right? right? So until you skin your knees, you don't know to watch out for that bump in the road, right? Right. So when we want folks to supplement their on-the-job training or their personal experience, we send them out for industry generic certifications, not product specific, right? Mm -hmm. I, instead of sending someone to go get a Cisco CCNA, I'd rather them go to CompTIA and get a Network Plus, you know, Security Plus, Cloud Plus, because right. then you're learning the core concepts of, you know, DNS and HTTPS and what an IDP is and SSL and all of these things and not one particular brand, uh, brand's implementation of that technology exactly. within their product right. suite, right? Right. Yeah, 100%. So when it comes to the team, you know, right now we've got three help desk technicians. We've got two additional engineers on the support team, plus our support team managers. So our, our support team is a total of six engineers at this point. Um, and they range in scope from, you know, someone who's been a hobbyist all of his life and decided to get into IT during COVID when a lot of industries blew up and they decided for a career change. To our support team manager has been in the industry for over 25 years and he's done video production and professional photography as well as doing IT consulting in the Mac space. Right. And then we've got our director of MDM and cloud services who started as a help desk engineer with us nine and a half years ago. And now he does a lot of DevOps and figuring out our paradigms and our testing and our methodologies, and then he trains the other engineers. We've got our senior deployment engineer who's been with us uh, for eight and a half years, again, also started out on our help desk, uh, and our senior network engineer, who was that guy I hired way back in 2005 mm -hmm. um, and is still with me today. And he was a production artist. So like, like I did, he came out of the print production world. You know, I taught him how to do his first firewall, I think around 2006 or 2007. And now he runs circles around me mm -hmm. uh, on doing that stuff. And so everybody here is a Swiss army knife, right? Everybody has some skills in all arenas, but they've got two or three skill sets that they've really honed and done deep dives in over the years. We, uh, we try to do a lot of cross training. We get the whole team together once a month and we have two or three engineers present some tools, some new thing we found, some shift in existing so, you know, policies or procedures that we're changing now mm -hmm. uh, to train the other engineers. So everybody's learning from everybody else. And right. we have... We have the help desk guys teaching the senior engineers, as well as the mid-level engineers teaching everybody else. So we we go in all directions around here because everybody learns stuff. I mean, the even just the productivity hacks of, hey, I found this little utility for that thing I do 17 times a day, and now I can do it in 30 seconds instead of in five minutes. Right. So we just try to keep everybody well-rounded, basically. Yeah. Well, I'm, again, it's out we have so many similarities other than the platforms and the clients, but, you know, again, I think, I think that comes from us, right. The culture yeah. and, and how would we do it if it was us? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's sort of the environment that we're looking to bring, develop and bring to the table for our staff. Right. Like there's, I, I know for me personally, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing the guys who are, you know, came from the help desk and, you know, X number of years later are running things, right? Like just, yep. just watching the growth. It's not so much, oh, you went from down here to up here. It's more just their personal growth, right? And, yeah. and watching their careers develop. And I think in, in a company like ours, and I mean ours plural, yours and mine, I've always said, I feel like this is, this is a Ponzi scheme, but it's not a scheme. Right. Build the company up and get people yep. in that are really good and keep promoting them and then bring yep. in more people that are good and keep promoting them. Right. And just create opportunities for people to be challenged and grow. And again, I, I would think similar to us, you know, our guys just like to learn. They like yeah. to be pushed. They like to understand things. They like to figure things out. Right. And I think if if you don't inherently have that, IT is 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 really tough. 
Like yeah. you have to be a problem solver and you have to be okay with, Oh, this thing's broken again. Let me go figure it out. Right. Whatever, whatever that is. Right. It's like, you can't just say, all I'm going to do is build a house, right? We need people that are going to maintain the house. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of maintaining, right? I think the two things that made me stick with this industry are the detective work, mm -hmm. right? But also the, the satisfaction in building things, right? Building systems. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you enjoy both building, but also reverse engineering and doing detective work and problem solving, then you can excel really, really well in this career. And one of the things that I was thinking about, uh, because I, I think that fits with, with your environment, your ecosystem more than ours, but it's still there, which is, you know, when you have somebody coming from a print production background going into IT, right? Again, air quotes. I, I'd have to think there's a certain level of creativity that, you know, in a, in a production environment, you're creating things, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a certain outlet for that creativity and going yep. purely to, hey, I'm just going to fix things. Again, are there avenues for people to to deal with that create, you know, to address that creativity bug, right? And so, you know, when you say build things, right, I get it 100%. But a, I think a big part of that is that's an outlet for the creativity, right? I get to create something from nothing, whatever that is, right? You know, from a, because my background is more of a developer, develop, you know, creating software was always, mm -hmm. it was a creative outlet for me, whether it was, how do I lay out the screens? How do I create this workflow that'll work for somebody? It's, it's problem solving and creativity. And, and I would think that that's, again, in your environment, especially when you take people that are coming from a production environment and move more into IT, there's got to be some balance and some understanding of that change. And do you, do you find people running up against, you know, that over the course of their career or? When I, whenever I am interviewing folks, I'm looking for people that enjoy IT. And I always ask them, like, what are you doing at home? Right. Mm -hmm. What have you done with your home network? What have you done with, you know, either doing smart automation in your home or are you an audiovisual guy and maybe you've got a huge media library? Well, how did you automate that media library and how are you streaming that content? Right. Because I think, uh, I think you nail it when you say it's like a creative outlet, right? We, mm -hmm. we build systems, not just from a, a hardware perspective, but also from a software perspective or from a, um, a workflow perspective. Mm -hmm. right. We've, we've done a lot of stuff over the, over the years to be what I like to call strategically lazy, right? I got to do this thing 37 times a week. How can I make it a lot less annoying, right? right. How can I make it a lot faster and, and therefore um, use my time more effectively? And people who enjoy figuring out those tricks and tips to just make their lives easier, um, there's a lot of outlet for that in this industry mm -hmm. and, and, in, right. and in our environment. And I've heard the same from you in terms of the kinds of clientele you work with. Right. Yeah, I think that what you just described too is is interesting because you know I've always said this that the best programmers are the lazy ones. Yeah. Because you know they're they're not lazy in terms of the end result, but lazy in terms of I'm tired of doing this manually. I'm going to write mm -hmm. something so I, you know, so I can automate it. Right. Right. And the, the more that you, I feel the more that you have that sort of mentality in it, the, the better the it person you're going to be. Right. Because you are going to run into things that you're doing over and over and over again. Right. Like Agreed. it's, it's really humorous because I have this bad rap in my company that I'm, I'm still a keyboard guy. Right. And, <laughs> and I know all the shortcut commands for, you know, you name it. I was talking to somebody yesterday about moving between two different desktops and I was like, yeah, you just hit control windows, right or left arrow. And they're like, why do you know these things? <laughs> Cause it saves me three seconds. Right? Yep. But you know, to your point, you know, if you do that a hundred times a day and it saves you three seconds, you multiply that out across a year. And like, you know, the reality is, is you're actually saving some time there. Right. And, you know, I can't argue with that. That's just the way my brain works is like, how do I figure out how to automate and, you know, have more time available to me, even down to the second. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much the, the same kind of beast, so to speak, in that uh, if my computer is slowing me down, there's got to be something I can change, right? Mm -hmm. Because if, if I can process faster than this thing, then I feel like it's holding me back in terms of I've always got a pile of things I'm trying to get to. And 
I, I, I have so many little utilities on my machine. Uh, my team laughs at me every time I move to a new machine because I've got, you know, 15, 20 different utilities. I got to right. migrate over and make sure they're all working. Yep. So all my keyboard commands work, you know, so I can yep. move windows between three different monitors and I've got tools that type paragraphs for me because I just write a little code and it replaces it with two or three paragraphs that I can clean up. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of those kinds of productivity things just to, they help me feel like I've, I've customized my little world in this device, uh, you know, I'm using it 40 hours a week, right? Why don't right. I want to make it At fit least. me? Right. Yeah. 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 No, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I thought it was just me, <laughs> which drives everybody around me crazy, especially like you yeah. said, when, when I have to upgrade a machine, it's like, uh, okay. You know, it's cause I can't hand it off. Cause I know right. all the subtleties like, okay, you right. can set up the basics, but still going to take me another couple of hours just for me to fine tune everything. Cause sure. Like you, right. It's like, I got a hook in every single program and yep. how do I make myself, you know, it's just, I don't know. Is that, is that a computer thing? You know, it's like, did the, you know, did, is it inherent in us? And that's why we went into it and we've been successful or has it changed us to be that way? Right. Like, which is it the chicken or the egg? Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, both. I yeah. think it's a little of both in terms of, you know, nature. It's not nature versus nurture. It's mm-hmm. nature plus nurture. Right. right. And yeah. so I always feel yeah. like it's a Venn diagram between those two. And I feel like you start getting small successes in your natural personality coming out in the way it's working. And it kind of feeds that desire to have even more. And when I see that in engineers on our team, it's like, hey, you did a bang up job of figuring out that problem let's give you more like that. Right. And, right. and just see them eat it up and, right. and, you know, seeing that sense of satisfaction in them in um, becoming the subject matter expert in some tool or some kind of environment. It's really nice. It gives them a sense of ownership and accomplishment. Oh, no question. No question. So when you started out, right, like you said, it, you, you just kind of fell into this per se. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm not knocking that it's like similar to me. I, I, I didn't wake up one day and say, Hey, I want to have a consulting business and I want to get the, <laughs> you know, X millions in revenue. And I want to have this many employees. It was just like, okay, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to do some stuff. See if I can stay busy. See if I can make a living at this. Oh, guess what? I've got more than I can work on. I need to hire somebody. Right. Blah, yep. blah, blah. So what would you have, what would you tell yourself 20 years ago, knowing what you know now? it's <laughs> oh, a great oh, question yeah 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 and of course as soon as i come up with the answer i'll have to go home and tell my kids too yeah exactly i think take a breath you mm-hmm. know it's a it's amazing if i look back at memorable mistakes right and you know we have a culture around here of of doing postmortems, right mm-hmm. uh, even even we had a good success like hey that was a good success but could it have been better right or it's like, hey, we didn't see that coming. Why didn't we? How can we see it coming next time, right? Right. The ability to sit and take a breath and be thoughtful, really be present when other people have ideas to bring to the table so that you're not kind of looking at it with blinders on, mm-hmm. I think is it's incredibly not only educational, but it it's reassuring, right? Because not mm-hmm. only do you learn more, but they learn more. And I think you, nobody ever stops learning, right? You, you learn every single day and you're growing every single day. So if you can slow down and really find value in every experience you have, whether it be uh, a quick success that you kind of expected versus uh, a surprise you didn't expect, I think it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more fulfilling in the grand Mm -hmm. scheme of things. Right. Now, do you think that that, you know, the, the word that comes to mind for me is patience. Right. And that's sure that that is I actually have this. I have a little stone that has the the Chinese symbol for patience etched mm-hmm. into it because I feel like that's my that's my not my job, my goal of being here on this earth, like is to figure out patience because I've always yeah. been like impatient. Right. Yeah. It's like, OK, got to get the next thing done. Got to get the next thing done. Got to grow. Got to do this. Got I got 20,000 things to work on. But as you get bigger and bigger, it's really hard. You know, everybody says, why, you know, especially when you're first starting your business, like, 
why doesn't everybody want to work 55 hours? Why doesn't, you know, well, they're not owners. They're not, right. you know, and, and, and I don't mean that negatively. It's like, they just have different priorities. Right. And I get it, but it took me a long time to get it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it didn't happen in the first couple of years. Cause I was just intense. And sure. it's like, why aren't you intense? Come on. We got stuff to do. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but I agree like a hundred percent. And, you know, I, I certainly think having kids have helped me. Right. Because mm -hmm. you can't force things with kids. No. Like you, you have to bend. Right. I mean, relatively yep. speaking. Right. I mean, it is our job to guide them and, and put them in the right direction, but not everybody's going to do things the same way that you want them done. And, yeah. and because either they can't, they don't want to, or it's not the way that they see the world. Right. And it right. took me a long time to, to, to accept that. Right. Mm -hmm. And not just for our kids, but for staff, for employees. And so I've really, you know, not that I'm opening up the therapy couch here, but it, it took me a <laughs> while to, to figure that out that right is like, we're going to get the best, we're going to get the best work from our staff um, when we allow them to do the best work they can and help them as opposed to, right. It's how can I help you? I'm going to walk beside you as opposed to pulling you. Right. And it took a long time for me to, to, to get to that place. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I, I feel like everything you just said is kind of a mirror for me in terms mm -hmm. of the experiences I've been through. And, you know, being a parent reminds me on a regular basis, again, when I'm, when I take a breath and I'm present to, mm -hmm. to learn the lesson my kids are teaching me is it's not just for the results, it's for the process, right? It's for the experience right. of being on the journey together. That's a lesson I'm trying to remind myself at work, right? It's, it's not just about the result. It's like, did we enjoy getting here? And whether, you know, did we learn something, was it enjoyable just because of the, the people we got to be on the journey with, not only our teammates, but also our colleagues and peers from other teams, but also our clientele, right? right. right. And, you know, we've got so many relationships that are well over a decade long in terms of our clientele. I've got clients that have been with us over 20 years. They followed me from my old job and they're still with mm -hmm. us today, right? Right. And, you know, looking back on the journey uh, for us as a team, as well as seeing them and their business growing, it's pretty amazing, right? It's the, mm -hmm. the relationships we've built over all these years and the things that we've learned from them and just, um, you know, just being along a 20 year journey together uh, in various aspects. It's been really, really cool. And parenthood is definitely a big part of teaching me that lesson. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, you know, look, the, the longer we're here, the better we get, I'd like to think. Yeah. Right. But I mean, to your point, that's all about learning, right? It's not about just doing. It's, it's right. really about learning and making adjustments along the way. Yep. Right. And that's, and I guess that's a sign of maturity or something. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> don't tell my kids that, uh, <laughs> but going back to sort of the, the Apple world, are there any, you know, are there any misconceptions that you run into out there or any issues that you run into in terms of, um, you know, prospects coming to you or, Hey, we have this, can you just do this for us? Or, you know, any, any things that you've run into sort of, like I said, misconceptions or glitches in terms of you being able to service and work with a particular client? You know, um, I think there's two things. There's the, you know, we talked earlier, uh, in the conversation about this misconception that you don't have to protect your Apple devices with third-party software, right? Mm -hmm. That they're just, it's just not going to happen to you, right? right? Everybody believes that until it does. And I think the other one, honestly, which is, is not, not Apple specific, but I think is, is big in our industry, which is just marketing makes things seem like click three checkboxes and you magically have this secured, automated, uh, simple to use ecosystem and it just maintains itself, right? Mm -hmm. The heavy lifting you have to do on the back end to achieve that is pretty substantial uh, in a lot of cases. And not all software developers walk the walk, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, right now, uh, 
there are several things. And again, I'm going to go back to mobile device management as being one of them. There's this industry term that we run into these days with a lot of prospects about zero touch deployment, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea of being able to order a brand new laptop, ship it out to your remote employee who's working on a ranch in Wyoming, and they crack it open and 30 minutes later, they're signed into everything and they're off to work. Can you achieve that? Sure, you can, but you have to have uh, a structure in place on the back end that actually feeds that, right? You have mm -hmm. to drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, of all the tools and the paradigms that are necessary to achieve that, the marketing vision of that end result. And so we tell people when it comes to that particular thing, because we do get questions about that, we get business referrals from the Apple stores for, you know, companies that want to achieve that. Um, and it's like, well, you know, if you're a small to medium business, you can achieve light touch, but you're likely never going to achieve zero touch because, mm -hmm. Um, some of the software tools that you use, um, you have to have a minimum of 100 seats or something like that to actually get access to that kind of automation in that software product. Or they're using an esoteric tool that just doesn't play well with that paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really gently bringing the conversation back to what's practical in an environment, given the clientele's industry, the company culture right? Because every company's culture informs how they treat and think about IT as well as their budgets, right? And finding kind of that sweet spot between uh, their ideal scenario and where the, the rubber actually hits the road for them. And we have to put ourselves in their shoes and help them see things in a way that's going to work not just for tomorrow, but also 24 months from now so that they're not putting themselves into an untenable position and thinking you know, something is not, it's not set it and forget it. It's, it's like a garden, right? You're constantly pruning it, you're weeding it, you're feeding it, you're nurturing it. Um, it's like you said earlier, not just building the houses, but maintaining them, right? Right. All right. of these things you have to maintain. And so you have to understand long-term what it's going to do. Um, right. And then I think the last piece of that is, is that the company culture has to uh, be willing to adopt the workflows that then result in the technology ecosystem that they want. Mm -hmm. So, onboarding and offboarding practices for hiring and, and exiting employees, right? Just right. little subtle things in terms of think through the 40 or 50 questions that we need the answers to before we could actually deploy that computer for that new hire mm -hmm. and turning that into a process that they understand and we understand. Right. And I, and I would think, again, <laughs> what you're talking about is, 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 is so similar to our approach and so similar to our environment and how we're dealing with things or what we're seeing. Um, do you like, whether it's official or unofficial, do you have a way to vet prospective clients to find out, you know, are we going to be successful or, you know, do we think we're going to be successful with these guys or do we have a couple red flags? That's like, you know, as much as I'd like to take them on, I just don't think we're, we're operating from the same paradigm, right? We're not looking at things equally. Like how, how do you figure that out ahead of time? We try. We're, I, 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 I will say that we are constantly um, fine-tuning our spidey sense in, in cases mm -hmm. like that. There are a couple of big picture questions we ask ourselves initially. Like We try to find out from them how they think about IT, right? Do you think about it as a tool to leverage growth and efficiency? Do you think about it as just an asset, you know, just part of the business? In other words, kind of a neutral? Or do you think of it as a sunk cost, right? It's stuff you got to spend money on, right? Mm -hmm. We talk to people about uh, security paradigms, right? What is their mindset in terms of ounce of prevention versus pound of cure, right? Are they, I want to lock all the doors and all the windows and have people that I look through before I open the door? Or do you open the door and just hope the person on the other side is okay, right? Mm -hmm. You know, are you a gambler or not, so to speak? And we look around at how they treat the fleet, right? Mm -hmm. These tools are, they're exactly that. They're tools, you know? I teach my kids, put my hammer away, put my screwdrivers away, put my drill bits away. I need to know where they are the next time I go get them and clean mm -hmm. them. Don't put them away dirty, right? right? So that the next person that touches it is good. Mm -hmm. Treat your computers the same way. Treat your network the same way. One of the things that I'll do on a site visit for a prospect is I'll look in their server room if they have one. And obviously with COVID, that's a shifting paradigm, but... For many, many years, I would open the server room and find out if they treat it like a broom closet, right? Mm -hmm. Do they have a mop bucket sitting right next to their server that holds all their data for their entire <laughs> workforce? I'm laughing right now you know? because I can remember, I don't know how many times I've gone out to a new, you know, prospective client meeting sure. and looking in their server room and just, 
this one that it comes to mind is you have this server rack and then you have the firewall that's not in the rack. It's sitting on a wooden ledge. And both of those things are right underneath like a half height water heater. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going, oh my gosh. Yeah. You, you guys understand what's going to happen here? Like, yeah, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've opened up a fair number of server rooms and it felt like I just opened the door to a sauna, you know, mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. it's like, yeah, the stuff runs, but you're just cooking the life out of it, you know? Right. Right. I, I think those are the real big, um, red flags. And what I try to do is I try to talk to not just management, not just leadership, mm -hmm. but I try to get permission to actually talk to some of the people on the team, right? Because their experience is going to be very different than what uh, leadership thinks their experiences in some cases, you know, and having that uh, differential perspective can be quite educational when you're looking at an environment. Right. Yeah, no question. And, you know, sometimes, and again, I don't know how, how this plays out for you guys, but oftentimes, you know, we'll, we'll get new clients because, you know, something happened, whether it was an event or it was just the client was, tired of the quality of service that they were getting or not getting right mm -hmm. Some, something that just you know it, it's rare that somebody comes to us because everything's working right right i mean the only time yeah. that would ever be is if hey our guy is moving right or sure. retiring right but that's sure relatively speaking at least for for our experience that's few and far between but when when you take over for another company i i can't tell you the last company that we took over for who had any sort of documentation available like yeah. I, like how are you running this stuff if you're not documenting things if you don't have well here's their inventory here's the network right. diagram here's how everything works here's a list of ip addresses here's your domains blah 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 right here's your products here's everything you know we ran into one relatively recently probably like nine months ago that was Hey, we need the password to log into the firewall so we can see what's going on. Oh, well, we don't have it. Okay. But for the last X number of years, you claimed that you were updating the firmware on it. How, how did you do that? If you, you weren't able to get into the, well, you know, we never get an answer, but right. the unfortunate thing, and this goes back to your, 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 some of your comments earlier is, is the industry that we work in is one unregulated. So anybody mm -hmm. can throw up a shingle and say they're an IT guy in any right. any respect, right? Whether it's IT support, uh, development, web development, SEO, uh, cybersecurity, right? There's, I mean, yeah, you can say I have a CISSP, but there are no requirements to have to have these certs to provide right. this service, right? Anybody can do yep. it. Um, and I think what's happened because it's grown and developed so quickly and because that was the environment, IT is such a black box for most people. And as long yeah. as it's working, it seems to be fine, right? right? And and oftentimes I'll have the conversation, especially with new prospects of, well, it's fine, except if, if this were a car, okay, maybe I'd get into it because, you know, if you run out of gas or the brakes don't work, I can figure out how to, you know, coast off to the side. But if this were a plane, there's no way I would get in on it. Like, right. you know, you're at the beginning of the runway and your propellers are spinning, but that doesn't mean that this plane is safe just because right. it's always been working. Right. And that's, that's one of the difficulties that we run into too often is, is sort of the level of mediocrity that people, that clients have come to expect, right. And accept. And then we come in there and go, well, no, 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 here are all the issues. Well, if I fix those things, am I going to feel any different? Right. Eh, you know, yeah, it's, 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 you know, but it goes back to that, you know, well, you can eat healthy, you can exercise, or you can just wait and go to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'd rather eat healthy and exercise and take care of myself. So I don't end up in the, you know, or root canal, right. It's the same concept. Sure. sure. You know, I think one of the analogies I, I use with this kind of stuff is like a lot of this stuff, you know, when you think about being a homeowner, You've got a foundation, you've got framing, you've got insulation, wiring, plumbing, right? If you can't see how it's broken, if it's not actually impacting the way you live in your home, you're never going to think about it, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, until one day you turn around and go, what's that black stuff growing on my wall? And then you mm-hmm. find out you've had a plumbing leak in your wall for a year and a half, and now you've got mold, and now you got to rip half your kitchen out. And it, it just kind of, it snowballs on you, right? Right. And so I think a lot of what we do is that hidden infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. That supports the company living in the ecosystem. And if it's not impacting them day to day, then uh, either out of sight, out of mind, or it's just never, they don't know enough to think about it. Right. Right. And right. I don't, I don't know about you, but I think what I've seen a massive uptick of in the last 12 months is clients coming to us because their cybersecurity policy has dramatically raised the bar on their minimum expectations to renew their cyber policy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, three years ago, cyber policies didn't care if you were using multi-factor authentication to protect everything in the cloud. They didn't care if you were doing third-party backup of your Microsoft 365 data or your box.com data or your Dropbox data. Um, and now it's flipped all that on its head and they expect you to be doing all of that. Right. Well, going from, you know, zero to 60 is... Um, it's not something that happens automatically, right? You've mm-hmm. got to be strategic about it and you've got to think about it. And, you know, we often end up coaching our clients like, look, you have to answer no to this question right now. There are lots of ways that you could change that no to a yes, both in the spirit and the letter of the question, but you have to weigh the pros and cons of the dollars that you have to spend to turn that into a yes. And, you know, in some cases, clients have gone back to their brokers and found out that their policy will cost twice as much if it's a no versus a yes. And others have found out, well, the price is the same, but the payout's radically different, right? right? right. And so they have to, again, decide security, protection, convenience, um, you know, day-to-day dollars, right? Today's dollars versus tomorrow's dollars. And we have to help them weigh those for their environment and their culture. Right. And we've picked up, you know, 95% of our clientele is referral. And mm-hmm. most of the time we pick up a client is, is one of three things. A, it's a startup that was doing DIY IT. And they finally got big enough where, you know, the founder or, you know, one of the partners or something like that can no longer keep up, right? And they've got to actually do right. their day job. Yep. And so now they need to turn to somebody else and, and hand over the reins. Um, or they've been using a one-person shop and they need to graduate to a team either because they need faster response time or a much broader breadth of skill set and experience uh, or expertise. Um, or we've picked up a lot of clients that actually flip from Windows to Mac. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's a massive paradigm shift to change all of your IT systems over, even if the end users are like, oh, I've been a Mac user for 25 years. Now I get to use my Apple product like I use every day. I'm like, yeah, but this isn't your home computer, right? right. We, we've got to meet security obligations and trust obligations um, to make the company happy and make the lawyers happy and the insurance companies happy. So not exactly the same thing. So when you're coming from all three of those paradigms, it comes with a different set of kind of predictable issues. And you nailed one of them, which is documentation. It's never as good as we want it to be, ever. Mm -hmm. And years ago, I wrote up a five-page checklist that every time a prospect calls me, I was like, look, for our first meeting, I want you to go through this list. And I want you to tell me how much of this you think you have. I don't actually want the documentation. I just want you to put a yes, I think I have this or no, I don't. Mm -hmm. And no one has ever had more than 50% of this. And it's never the same 50%. Right. And um, it's it's incredibly eye opening. I'm like, guys, just keep this because whether you engage us or you engage somebody else, you need to understand that this is the kind of documentation that any qualified, successful, proactive team is going to have for you at their fingertips. And so use this as a gauge for whoever you're talking to. Right. Um, And it uh, it really helps um, open their eyes to the complexities that can be kind of hidden from their view, you know, and from their understanding. Yeah. No, I think that you had it dead on, which is just, you know, we're living in a very complex world. We've, you know, the, the compliance and security requirements are, are just are growing constantly. And um, the, the industry is maturing, and the tools are maturing. So in a lot of respects, you know, some things are a lot easier than they ever have been for us delivering yeah. the services. But in some respects, it's getting more and more mature. So the compliance requirements are just, they keep going up and up and up. And it's, yeah, it is trying to bridge that gap between, you know, what makes sense financially for the client, but also what makes sense from a risk aversion perspective. Yep. Right. And we well got to balance and, and right. Our job 
is to be able to walk that walk or talk that talk between the two and help guide mm-hmm. our clients to, to, to an appropriate decision for them. Right? Yep. For one client might be different than for another client. Well, Rob, we're coming up on the end of our, our time here. I wanted to really appreciate your time here. We dug into a lot of things. Um, I wanted to, you know, before we end, just quickly ask um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way? I know we'll put this stuff in the show notes, but you know, what's, what's the easiest way to get in touch with you? Uh, you can find us on our company website at secondsunconsulting.com. Um, I'm also uh, on LinkedIn and I participate in a lot of conversations there. Um, I'm in several business groups there for both technology as well as some of the industries that we serve, um, as well as Second Sun is also on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Great. So like I said, we'll have that in the show notes. And this this was a, definitely a very in-depth, uh, uh, timely conversation, I think, you know, it's interesting when you and I get together because we have so many cultural overlaps. Like we, yeah. we may play in two different ponds per se, but mm-hmm. how we run our companies, how we see the value proposition of what we're delivering to our clients, how we talk about, not only talk about, but really develop meaningful relationships. You know, your yeah. point of having clients that have been with you 20 years, we have clients that have been with us 30 years only because yeah. I'm older. Right. <laughs> you know, 10 years from right. now, you'll be in the same place. Um, you know, I like to say I started the business when I was nine, but I'd be lying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know I'm sure our listeners got a ton of nuggets. And again, if, you know, if you're in anything in the Mac world, um, Rob's the guy, Second Second Sun Consulting, they're the guys. They have a great team and um, we work with them a ton and you know couldn't couldn't say enough good things about them so thanks again rob i appreciate your time and we'll talk to you soon thanks for having me and that was rob calvert founder and ceo of second sun consulting i hope you found our conversation as interesting as i did it's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like rob there are certainly a lot of nuggets there and i hope you can apply some of them right away in your business thanks again rob for your time and sharing all of your great thoughts with our listeners And if you'd like to find out more about what Rob and Second Sun Consulting has to offer, or simply want to connect with them, check out the show notes for more details. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. To learn more about this episode or hear previous episodes, check out the show notes at www.fpainc.com slash podcast. And if you like today's show, please do us a favor and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate getting the word out there. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do give us a review. Again, we'd really appreciate that. You can also write to us at podcast at fpainc.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, our handle on Twitter is at fpainc. I'm Craig Pollock, and you've been listening to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast. And remember, with FPA, it's always about business before technology. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.